Pastor Xavier Reese reminds parents of their awesome responsibility. David was a king who fell as a parent. Yes, you may be a Christian, be a successful businessman, you may go to school, you may have a successful career and all that, but if you fail at raising your children, you fail. Hear me well. If you fail as a parent, you fail, because that's your primary responsibility outside of your own salvation, to raise your children in Christ. Train your child in the Lord. That's your responsibility. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Given the amount of wealth and success we can achieve in this world, nothing can compare to raising children that serve the Lord. The eternal significance of this remarkable responsibility of Christian parents cannot be underestimated. And so Pastor Xavier continues our Simple Truth study series in 2 Samuel today with a presentation about the importance of raising godly children. Let's listen. And David, having um, been confronted with his sin by Nathan the prophet, acknowledged and made confession of his sin, the enemies of God blasphemed God and the child died. And though David would not die and was forgiven, yet God declared that the consequences of his sins would not be removed from his life. He would have great difficulties the rest of his life. What came to take place was not that God was judging or taking vengeance on David, but it was just his reaping to what he had sown. Let's make sure we understand this, Galatians 6, 7 through 9. God is not taking vengeance. These are the consequences of his own lifestyle. Though children are not judged for the sins of the parents, nor parents for the sins of the children, the parents are responsible for the transmission of godly principles. Ezekiel 18.20 You as the head of your home, and I'm mainly speaking to men this morning, the principles you can apply to the ladies, but you men are on the chopping block this morning. God will hold you responsible for how you raise your children. You're the high priest of your home. There has to be a breaking of sin and accepting Christ for a change of life to come. Regeneration. If not, sinful lifestyle will continue from generation to generation. The scripture that says to the third, fourth generation does not mean that there's a hex, that there's some kind of voodoo stuff like some dumb positive confession teachers teach. It means that if you don't repent, then your child will be worse than you because he's had a head start. My brother and I came to the Lord. My sisters came to the Lord. We broke a chain of generations of pagans. Our grandchildren are walking with God. Praise God. But if their children don't walk, then they go back. You understand? You break the generation by repentance. It's not some kind of hex. It's not some kind of voodoo stuff. That's ridiculous. Thank God he has dealt with us according to his mercies and not according to our sins, Psalm 103.10. Otherwise, we'd all end up in hell. David was a king who fell as a parent. Yes, you may be a Christian, be a successful businessman. You may go to school. You may have a successful career and all that. But if you fail at raising your children, you fail. Hear me well. If you fail as a parent, you fail. Because that's your primary responsibility outside of your own salvation, to raise your children in Christ. Now, if you were B.C. days, you weren't a Christian, no condemnation. You're responsible from that point on. But if you're a Christian and you don't deal with your children... God wants to speak to you this morning. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses to me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Jerusalem is first. Home. If it's not at home, it's not happening anywhere else. It's just hypocrisy. 
Children are a reflection of what goes on in the home. That's the rule. Certainly there are exceptions. You may be a godly parent, teach them, hold them accountable, and have a child of the devil. You may be the devil's cousin and have godly children. There's a free will. But you're responsible to set the mark and to hold it. We as parents are to take time to minister, instruct, train, discipline, confront and supervise our children. Christian schools and Christian churches are no substitute. You know what the problem is? They live with you. That's where they get all their training. You understand? Don't look to the church or to Christian schools to train your child in the Lord. That's your responsibility. One of the qualifications of an elder is to rule his house well, having his children submission and all reverence. For if he doesn't know how to rule his own house, how can he care for the church of God? 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. Titus 1, 6 confirms this. Important. How diligent and consistent are you regarding your children? Or perhaps not teaching them how to disobey. More than obey because you never call them on the carpet. Little Johnny in the store, he knows he's got 21 tries before he gets it. Because you've taught him to disobey. Teaching them how far they can push you. David Phil's a parent. This continues to be one of the reasons why many children are confused today in our society. There's no models. David didn't seem to teach and discipline his children diligently as we look at his life. He married wives of outside of Israel too. That was a problem. The setting for our text is David, just as he's conquered Rabbah, the city of the Ammonites, and he's made them a labor force for Israel. But the glorious days of David were over. All he would be able to do is remember them. David, his life went downhill after Bathsheba, and he would never be the same. You want to learn from David. You don't want to be him after Bathsheba. You understand? It is after this event that we are told what took place in David's house regarding his daughter Tamar and his two sons, Amnon and Absalom. I, as a child of God, am forgiven for my sins, yet the Spirit of God is dwelling within me, but I have a free will. I will not alter the ultimate decrees of God, but I can affect my life and those around me. Are we clear on that? I am responsible. I can't blame other people. I can't excuse myself. I am responsible for my salvation. I affect others, and God will hold me responsible. The sins of David are manifested in his own family. That's what we have here. First, the vile rape of Tamar by Amnon, verse 1 through 14. Secondly, we have the various responses over the rape of Tamar, verse 15 through 22. And then the vengeance of Amnon by Absalom in 23 through 39. Let's begin here with the vile rape of Tamar by Amnon, 1 through 14. Notice the perverse desire of Amnon for his sister was revealed in verse 1 and 2. The account is dated by the phrase, after this. And as I stated, the phrase refers to the defeat of Ammon and the conquest of the city of Rabbah. David had taken the city and brought them under servitude. And that goes back to chapter 12, verse 29 through 31. Now, notice the characters involved in the tragic event are three in verse 1 there. All are related. Absalom, the son of David, was the third son of David by Makkah, the daughter of Ptolemy, the king of Geshru, in Hebron, 2 Samuel 3.3 3 told us that. The name Absalom means my father is peace. What a contradiction to his name. This guy's a rat all the way. 
His name appears 103 times in 2 Samuel. 103 times. We did a whole study on the character study of Absalom. If you've never heard it, pick it up. You'll find out what a rat this guy is. By the way, Absalom's are in the church, not outside the church. Hmm. Judas Iscariot are in the church, not outside the church. Very important. Next is Tamar, the sister of Absalom. There in verse 1, she was a beautiful young woman of appearance. Her name means palm tree, whose mother was also Makkah. Then you have Amnon, the son of David. It says he loved her. Amnon was the firstborn of David by Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, in Hebron, 2 Samuel 3.2. This is the heir to the throne, Amnon. Amnon was the firstborn. Amnon had an unnatural love for his sister Tamar. He said he loved her. His love was sexual lust, not love at all. Look at verse 3. The condition of Amnon is described. Amnon was going through mental and emotional conflict over his lust for his inordinate lust for his half-sister. Keep that in mind. The word distress means to bind or to be crammed, being in turmoil. This guy has a bad. So much so that he became sick. Notice still in two that Amnon was also in mental and emotional turmoil over how he could get to Tamar sexually. The reason was that she was a virgin under protective care of the king. That's why he needed the permissions we're going to see to request her. The other reason was that he knew it was improper to do anything sexually to her. Not only because she's a virgin, but she's a half-sister. The perverse counsel of Jonadab was related to Amnon. Verse 3, Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. Jonadab is called a friend, but in view of the counsel, their friendship was partners of evil. These guys are two junkyard dogs. One is bad enough. You get two together, you better run. Some of us were like that in the world. Thank God God has saved us and changed us. You understand? Look at the word but. It marks the contrast between the distress of Amnon and the evil solution of his problem. The name Jonadab means Yahweh is willing. He's a dishonor to his name. This guy's another rat. He's the son of Shimei, David's brother. He's related also. This is Peyton Place. Now, some of you will remember. Some of you won't. That meant they were cousins. He was the nephew of David. 1 Samuel 17, 13 tells us that. And Jonadab was a very crafty man, it says in verse 3, meaning shrewd, wily, and prudent, but regarding evil. The extent of his evil is described by one word, very, exceedingly. You remember being in the world where guys like that, ladies like that, or maybe we were like that. You understand? We got off at seeing people get corrupted. We loved it. The two cousins joined forces to bring about the evil plan to a virgin in Israel. Their sister, half-sister, and cousin. Amazing. Look at four. Jonadab, seeing his cousin Amnon in a distraught appearance, inquired of him. So this guy appears like a real sincere, real good guy. He asked him in verse 4, why being the king's son, he was losing so much weight every day. He asked him, would you not tell me? We get a hint here that the king's sons always got their way in the kingdom. You're the king's kid. You have a carte blanche. You have a blank check. Wow. Amnon told him, I love Tamar, my brother's absent sister. 
He confesses inappropriate lust for his half-sister. No qualms. Just like his father, David, who had lusted after Bathsheba. Hmm. Look at five. Jonadab devised an evil plan for Amnon to seduce Tamar. He told Amnon to pretend that he was sick in bed. This guy's bad. Treacherous. He told Amnon, when your father comes, request that Tamar come prepare food for you that you may eat it at her hand. Hmm. Verse 6 to 14. The descriptive plan was implemented to realize the rape. Verse 6 and 7, the plan was executed by Amnon requesting Tamar to be sent. Notice in 6, Amnon pretended he was sick, made his request to David, his father. David's clueless. Great king. Terrible father. Wow. Verse 7, David commanded Tamar to tend to Amnon with some food. She's sister, loving, no suspicions. Lamb to the slaughter. Look at 8 through 10. Tamar obeyed her father and went to her brother Amnon. In 8, Tamar went, prepared his food. In 9, he offered food to him, but he refused it. And he asked everybody to leave the room. In 10, Amnon then told Tamar to bring the food into the bedroom that he might eat it from her hand. So she did. She has no reason to meaning she's very naive because this guy's a brand but she's being set up now notice in verse 11 through 14 the treacherous entrapment of Tamar by Amnon to gratify a sexual lust is recorded for us and, and when things like this happen I love the Bible because the, Bi- the Bible doesn't get into some gory stuff they're very clean very direct very things so that we, we, we get the, the horror of it but we don't get all the juicy stuff you understand Look at 11. And Amnon took hold of Tamar and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. I said, she's going to say, All right, dude. I mean, it's horrible. Like if she's going to go for it. Tamar pleaded with Amnon to stop. Look at 12. She reminded him of their relationship. No, my brother. She warned him of her lack of consent. Notice this. Do not force me. And she declared the evil of it. For no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. Three times. Three warnings. And then in verse 13, Tamar told Amnon about the irreversible consequences. She would be dishonored. And I... Where could I take my shame? He would be vile and a senseless person, she said. And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Remember Nabal? Fool, that's the same word. And she gave him an option to do it the right way. Pleading. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Now, we know that Marriages to half-brothers and sisters were forbidden, Leviticus 18.11. But we do know that some did exist. Abraham and Sarah had one like parent but not the other. So she's trying to dissuade him, trying to just stop him for her good as well as his. 
But notice in verse 14, Amnon had his way with Tamar, despite all the attempts to stop him. I can only imagine the horror that went through this young girl's mind. Look at 14. Amnon would not heed her voice. He would not be denied. He took her, just as his father David had taken Bathsheba. Amnon was stronger than her and laid with her. He did not fear his father. In fact, he involved his father in sin. I would never attempt to involve my father when he was alive in anything like this. You kidding? People talk about time out today. Go in the corner. Time out when I grew up was when you woke up. <laughs> David did not know his children and without doubt never brought consequences to them. Just like Eli, we begin our study of the book of Samuel with Eli, a horrible parent who was a high priest. Remember? 18 years that you have your child under your roof, let's just take that. A third of that time, they sleep. That's six years. Another third, they spend in some form of institution, hopefully educational, not correctional. That's 12. Three years, they're infants. That's 15. You've got three years with your child. How much time are you spending of those three years with your child? Children like wet cement. If you work mud before, you get everything down, ready to go, put the forms up and everything, you pour it at 6, 5.30, as soon as you can, you work it while it's wet, get it down. Once it sets up, drop your trawls, take your pads off, come back and break it out tomorrow. You got three years of wet cement with your children. Total of time. Wow. Fathers, as the head of your homes, you are to be a model for your children, demonstrating evidence of the power of God in your life as a model. I can tell my child all about the power of God, how it changes people, but if they don't see it in my life, then it doesn't register in their mind and heart. In fact, it provokes them against me. The hard-working farmer must first be a partaker of his fruit, 2 Timothy 2, 26. You can't give what you do not have. You've got to have the mumps and measles before you can give them. As a father, I am to stimulate a desire in my children to possess and obtain like qualities as a godly man. Today, there are very bad roles. There's no role models. There's no heroes. All the heroes and everything else, a bunch of degenerates and vulgar today, immoral. The kind of games and entertainment children have, they can't be kids anymore. They're thrust out into the whole world of degeneracy so early in life. And so I'm to stimulate my child to imitate me by example and by instruction. So I have to be discreet in what I watch on TV. When my children grew up, what they couldn't watch, I couldn't watch. Simple. Now as you bear me out this morning, please give me a little bit of slack. I've raised two children. They're 32 and 34 now. I have four grandchildren. I've been in the ministry from the beginning. Now I didn't realize it then, but I... From, from 1973, 36 years, legally since 76. I've seen God's people destroy their life. I've seen people obey God. So I've got a little bit of experience behind me. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing, there's nothing can avoid sin nature except for the power of the Word of God. Be consistent in your role models. Set the standard. Hold it high. The principle is given by Paul. Philippians 4.9, listen to it. 
the things which you learned and received and heard and see in me, do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, he's talking about his life example to regular Christians, but the principle is towards your children. You understand? It goes straight across. You lead by example. As a father, I am commanded to teach my children. We don't have time to get on to the intricates. We've done other studies on it. But just jot down Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and Deuteronomy 11, 16 to 28. There, God tells the Hebrews to raise their children when they rise up, when they lay down, all over the house. Put stuff all over that they are reminded of God all the time. The evidence of me loving my children is that I teach them the word of God, teaching them how to think, how to be discreet, how to be godly. The commandments there in chapter 11 of Deuteronomy 16 to 28 gives you the ability to combat those influences outside the world. It's the word of God. The Proverbs are full of it. Proverbs for wisdom, Psalms for peace. Parents, (laughs) 30 Proverbs, 31 Proverbs, one a day. Read them. You read them 12 times a year. You're going to need them for your children. Job said, I esteem God's word more than my daily substance. Even though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job 13, 15. Job prayed for his children. Job sacrificed for his children. He knew his children were sinners just like him. Ephesians 6, 4 says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. That's me, the high priest of the home. I am responsible. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. Colossians 3, 21. Too many children are discouraged because of the father. He gives no priority to the word of God. He gives no priority to the church. He gives no priority to the things of God. As a father, I am to know my children, who they are, how they think, who they associate with, lest I become naive or worse yet, indifferent about their sinful activities and evil in their lives. Too many parents check out, oh, well, you know, or what they say, well, you know, I mean, you know, I've dedicated them to the Lord and they're just out there sowing their oaths. What a stupid statement. I've had Christian parents saying that. That's ridiculous. Proverbs 20, verse 11. Even a child is known by, the, by his deeds, whether what he does is pure or right. You know your child. Some of our children are more tweaked than others. It's like crooked nails. In the old days, you pick them up off the job site and you straighten them out. You use them again. If you didn't straighten them, you hammer them, they go crooked. You got to straighten them out before you hammer them. Proverbs 24, 21, and 22. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those who are given the change. Change meaning that they just go whatever way. It doesn't matter. They have no morals. They have no right or wrong. Four, their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin of those two can bring horrible. Paul the Apostle in Romans says, Romans 12, 16, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble do not be wise in your own opinion. Abstain from all appearance of evil. 1 Thessalonians 5.22. All appearance. If it, if it looks bad, don't go. Stay away from it. I will be duplicating myself and my children. Your family and mine will reflect us. Your family and mine will be the nucleus of society. Your family and mine will affect society for good or for evil. And God will hold me responsible for my pack. Let no one despise your youth. Be an example of the believer in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.12. I am to be a model for my children. Know them. Instruct them in the word of God. 
Pastor Xavier Reese provides us with the important reminder that raising godly children is as much a responsibility as it is a privilege for parents. Now, if today's study is one you'd like to get your own personal copy of, as always, we're pleased to be able to provide that to you on CD for just $4. Now, the title to ask for is simply, King David Failed as a Parent. The complete, unedited presentation will be included when you request the title once again, King David Failed as a Parent. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 